welcome to the Born Free podcast, where we'll discuss the challenges facing the world's wildlife and ecosystems. My name's Sarah Locke and I'll be talking to the passionate people doing their bit to try and secure a future where wildlife and humans can peacefully coexist. Welcome to the Born Free podcast. Today I'm joined by Bella Lack. Um, And Bella, so you're 16 years old and you already have the most impressive CV, can I just say. Um, You're Born Free's youth ambassador, but you're also an ambassador for Save the Asian Elephants, the RSPCA, the Jane Goodall Institute. You're working with our government at the moment to help protect elephants. Um, You're described often as an activist, a campaigner, an advocate for wildlife, but how would you describe yourself? Uh, I think about it, I sometimes try and find a label for what I do, but I don't know if there is one, because I think um, whenever I see something which I'm passionate about doing, then I'll do that. And sometimes it might be in conservation, sometimes it might be uh, sort of activism or writing. So I think um, what I usually go for is a youth conservationist, but I don't know if I'm, I'm qualified to call myself that. No, definitely. I think you're, you're across the field. You cover so oh, many interesting you. areas. Um, but I mean, was there one moment that really sparked your interest, and not only an interest, but a dedication, I guess, to wildlife conservation mm. that you remember? Yeah, I think I would have to say it was probably when I was about 11. Um, and, and this is the one moment I can remember, but I've always um, loved wildlife and animals. Um, but this is the moment when I um, started launching myself into conservation because I was watching a video um, of the effects of palm oil on orangutans and on the other wildlife in um, that ecosystem and um, I remember you you sometimes see videos of um, young orangutans and wheelbarrows and these really endearing sweet creatures but um, on the video it was um, I think a female orangutan on a single tree in the middle of a deforested field which now has become quite a common uh, photo to highlight the effects of palm oil and I was just uh, I think I was so devastated by how we could be causing that destruction and um, harming other species so much so I think it all launched from there and I'm still interested in that issue and I'm still um, trying to nothing's changed on that and I'm still trying to um, fight for the orangutans and the other species effect yeah you just came back from Borneo is that right yeah um, just what were you doing there um, I was actually making, as you said, it's gone full circle. I was making a film about uh, the effects of palm oil, but I wanted to meet uh, the farmers out there and the organisations and hear their voices rather than only voices from the Western world, which we commonly hear. And it was so fascinating to speak to the farmers and the smallholders. What was the, what was the feedback that you got from the farmers that are in the area that kind of you know rely on on um, palm oil? I think the main message that they had was that they care so much about the wildlife. I mean, th- these are the smallholders. These are the people who are on the ground, not the um, the CEOs and the heads of companies. But these are the farmers who um, work every day out in the fields and they they do it for their livelihoods and for their families. So I think the, me- the main message that came out of that was that um, palm oil shouldn't be demonised. What we should do is think about the way that we farm palm oil and how we can do that sustainably. And our role over here is to demand from companies and from supermarkets that they produce sustainable palm oil because it shouldn't have to be our responsibility to check through everything, every product we buy. Um, It should be the companies producing it. No, thank you. And I guess as well, I mean, there are 
people out, out here in the UK, we just don't think, do we, that there are thousands of lives at the other end who are actually relying on that palm oil that we might be boycotting. And that's really important that, you, yeah. that you've highlighted that. And what will happen with that? You're making a film, aren't you? Yeah, so it's, I mean, I'm only a very amateur filmmaker, but I hope to share that on the social media platforms I have and on uh, YouTube just make it accessible so that anyone can watch it and hopefully raise a bit of awareness and from there hopefully the people that watch it will also feel um, as passionate about it as um, I do. So you travel quite a bit then how do you find juggling your schoolwork with your kind of your activism work I mean you've just done your GCSEs right? Mm. Um, I don't think I always manage to find a way lots of the time I just prioritise things out of school. And um, obviously for GCSEs, I put lots of it on hold for a bit, which was quite difficult. Um, having to prioritise working when you feel like there's no point of working if everything else is um, the environment and the wildlife are being destroyed. That's that's what I felt whilst I was doing my GCSE, GCSEs. Um, yes, but when I'm, a- when I'm able to uh, act and when I'm able to channel that, almost frustration into action. I think that's one of the best things for people to do. And quite rewarding, I guess, yeah. as well. Um, and how do you prioritise which issues you tackle, which conservation issues? Is it literally, as you just said earlier, something that really grips you and then you follow it through or or is there another route that you take? I've never thought about prioritising it. I just, at that moment, what I feel passionate about and what to me seems to be... Um, causing the most destruction and it's so hard because there's so much and I'm sure you have it and everyone at Born Free there's so many things which we need to focus on so how do we prioritize it I don't know and I, I mean I think that's another thing that as a species we need to focus on prioritizing the right issues and uh, what where do you get your motivation from are there specific key people or you know key things that you really draw motivation and inspiration from I think obviously there are people, but the main thing is um, from the natural world and just being uh, being able to um, go into nature. And my dad just moved to the countryside, actually, and I think rather than being in an urban area, being in a rural area is uh, so so nice and provides inspiration for me to continue doing and what I'm doing and fight even harder. I think I'm the same at the weekends. I sort of tend to run off to the countryside yeah. and you get <laughs> I think my the fix. the city is being so, so overwhelming, being in the city. Um, just surrounded by, yeah, uh, being no, in an urban area. No, it's definitely important to get a balance. Um, and this might, you might struggle with this one, but I feel like what is your, what's your greatest achievement to date so far, do you think? Because I think that's really important for people to hear, you know, what you're most proud of. Mm. Well, I think um hasn't been completed yet, uh, but at the moment I'm working on a project which is completely youth funded um, and it's young people buying rainforest um, and the, at the moment our first site is in Ecuador and the moment I think uh, the reason I think it's the biggest achievement is uh, because it's completely youth funded and it's the first project uh, to do that and I just think that's testimony to the fact that so many young people are passionate about it and um, that if we put our minds to it young people are also able to achieve um, what we want to which should be evidence and should force um, politicians and uh, governments to do things as well. Because if young people can, why shouldn't they? No, absolutely. So is that groups of uh, individual um, young people or is that, can, you know, organisations? How did you mm. come about that network? Yeah, well, it's actually, so the people fundraising, it's going to be individual young people. Um, and then we've 
I, as I said, we've secured our site in Ecuador, and then once that site has been um, purchased, it will be um, it will be looked after and maintained by something called Ecominga, which is um, a foundation out there in Ecuador. I think that's even more impressive. I guess that it came from individuals. Um, and I just want to talk a bit more about a few specific projects um, that you've undertaken. So last year, am I right in thinking you went to Thailand um, to document the the plight of the um, Asian elephants? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, the reason behind that was because I think it was last year I began um, I became aware of the um, Asian elephant in tourism industry where. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you, you've heard of it, where in the tourism camps, lots of Asian elephants are being exploited um, exclusively for tourists' amusement. And I wasn't aware of how bad it was until I went out there and I actually saw for myself uh, the treatment that they're receiving and um, how barbaric it is and how the cages that they're kept in are so, so small, which for any animal is cruel, but for an elephant who... Um, should have a, a really large area to roam and then they were on a chain perhaps a meter possibly less i think it was it was so upsetting to see but um a really enlightening experience which allowed me then to make the film and hopefully raise a bit of awareness and obviously the film's not going to solve it but if i can do a bit in helping people to become aware as i did I think that's important. No, absolutely. And I saw the footage and it really is quite harrowing. And obviously you were visibly quite distressed. Did you feel um, that the tourists that you were kind of alongside, because you go in groups, don't you, to the elephant camps. And did you feel like the tourists that you're alongside, they can see that as well and they're as outraged as you are? Or is it, you know, ignorance? Do people just not realise? I think we had to pretend to be um, ignorant of it. And we were pretending to, be amused by it even when we saw these elephants being hit, hit with um by the mahouts yeah with yeah. the by the bullhook by the mahouts with the bullhooks um so I, i'm not sure if other people were also doing the same but it seemed to me as though they weren't aware of how cruel it was and they weren't aware of um what was going on even though we could visibly see the use of the bullhook so I, I think what needs to happen is people need to be become aware once you know what's happening it's almost impossible to ignore it yeah I guess that's even harder when you're with people and you can see cruelty taking place and people can't almost see that that is cruelty I guess that that must be quite frustrating do you feel like when you return from those kind of trips you feel more motivated or do you feel a, a kind of a bit deflated Definitely, at some points, deflated, um, almost devastated by what I saw. Um, but I think being able to have the opportunity to make the film and learn more about it has allowed me after to um, speak to people about it more. And although, obviously, it's incredibly upsetting, I think without the opportunity, I wouldn't be able to speak about it um, in the way I can. Absolutely. And so you, you make, obviously, videos and other content you write um, when you come back from one of those trips. But how how do you measure success of a trip? How how do you personally kind of, you know, is it the views that you get on, on those kind of videos? I don't... It's so hard because from one video or one blog post, I'm not going to be able to solve any of the problems. So I, I don't think I can measure it. I just hope that... Um, as Will actually once said to me, it's a movement and every action we um every action we make is just inching the movement forward slightly. And I hope that everything I do is able to help. Um 
I'm not going to be able to solve it, but I think if everyone contributes, then we will be able to. And then we can measure success when it's done and we look back and think, I can't believe that we used to keep elephants in camps and I can't believe we used to cut down thousands of hectares a day for palm oil. And when we're surprised by the past, I think that's when we can measure that we've um, progressed and that success. No, absolutely. That's such a good way of putting it. Um, and I guess more so you've been working, I, I, from an outsider's perspective, I feel like you're working a little bit more into government policy-led initiatives now. Can you tell us about that? Your What's the kind of transition from your campaigning work to policy? Yeah, I was trying... Um, I'm now part of something called the Ivory Alliance, and we hope to um, implement new policy um, here and abroad to help... Um, to help alleviate the poaching crisis. Um, but unfortunately, we're meant to be progressing, but obviously there's been a lot of political unrest. Um, movement. Yeah, <laughs> political movement. Um, so not much has happened. And um, I think it's important, lots of politicians, I mean, I can't name any specifically, but lots of politicians and even governments make these pledges and promises and they say by 2020, um, something will happen. And then you get to 2020 and it hasn't happened. And I think there needs to be a lot... Um, we need to strengthen political will and things need to actually happen rather than these pledges, which have really got us nowhere at, so far. Yeah, absolutely. And what would you hope for... What do you hope that Boris Johnson, what kind of changes do you hope for him to make in the next few months and years? What do you hope to see from him? Are there anything specific? Yeah, I hope he'll focus his attention on UK wildlife um, because although I, I've been fortunate to go abroad and see the devastation happening abroad, our wildlife in many parts of the UK is um, very, very poor and we need to focus on restoring restoring it to what it should be and even rewilding in some areas. And then, as he mentioned his, in his speech a few days ago, I think he mentioned animal welfare. Um, and there needs to be a big focus on that because I think lots of people think we have uh, very high levels of animal welfare, but in some areas, they're, they're not high at all. They're very poor as well. Um, and I have to ask, but I mean, do you ever get nervous when you're sitting with, you know, governments and high-level politicians? I feel like you're always so calm and eloquent. How yeah. do you, what is going on in that brain when you're up there? It might appear calm, but inside <laughs> it's not at all. Um, I think I find speech is easier to do it's it's more um the discussion I mean there is a pressure because I if I have a certain amount of time to do a speech and I have to try and convince people um change their mindset I think it, I do get quite nervous um but once you when you're passionate about something I think it's easier to speak about it if I had to speak about um I can't think now, but something completely different. I don't think I would be able to get up on stage or even do a podcast about it. Yeah, no, I, that's true, actually. I think when you're passionate, you just automatically, hopefully, become a bit more eloquent. Yeah, hopefully. Um, so when you're in those situations, um, you're often representing kind of like, without, you know, being too grandiose, but you're, you represent basically a voice of a generation. I mean, how do you how do you deal with that? And also, I guess, what is the one thing that you hope to bring to those meetings as that voice? If I'm representing my generation, I hope to convey how young people, when we're, um, for example, in 2050, I'll be 46, which is obviously the age of lots of politicians now, and convey that if, if they don't begin to make necessary changes, then when, when young people are their age, the world is going to be a very different and much less desirable place. Um, so really, young, 
young people my age, younger and even slightly older, our futures have been compromised. And I think it's important that as well as um, us, as well as we act, as well as um, young people acting, I think it's important that politicians act and adults, yes, they can say that young activists are inspirational, but they also need to um, do something about it and listen to the messages rather than just applauding young people's voices but not actually listening to them and follow through making those changes yeah, if definitely. they're the ones that are able to do so um and actually leading on to that i guess there are a number of you know up-and-coming figures and groups such as extinction rebellion and they kind of take a very hard line approach to eco activism what would you say is the relationship between i guess awareness and that activism do you think that that disruption is a necessity or do you think it's irresponsible what's your feedback on that Originally, I thought um, Extinction Rebellion would polarise people, which I think in in some cases it could have done slightly, but um, overall, the actions taken by Extinction Rebellion, um, I think that they've raised so much awareness and the government even declared a climate and ecological emergency, which was definitely a necessity. Um, And they need to now follow through on that. But anyway, I think if you look at the response of the general public, I think they're in agreement that what Extinction Rebellion did was necessary and I think it will continue to be so until a lot more action has been taken. Have you been on any of their strikes? Um, No they had a week-long strike in London and unfortunately I was doing my GCSEs which goes back to the earlier question of balancing it out and I couldn't really run out of the exam hall as much as I would love to but um, fortunately in September there's a lot of big action happening with youth strikes for climate and extinction rebellion so I'll definitely be there okay great and um so I know that you're just setting out on your career obviously um but what has been the greatest challenge that you face so far Uh, I think it's opposition that um I I face in especially on social media when people um refuse to engage and I understand if there's a general um ignorance around an issue and it could be on my side I might be unaware of things or on another side but I think if people um, engage and uh, speak about and actually are open to learning more I think that's so important but some people also accuse young people of being indoctrinated and don't believe that young people can be passionate and um, willing to engage in political issues um or environmental issues even. So that's another big challenge which I face when people think that it's my parents uh, almost guiding me, but actually I've done this almost exclusively by myself. Yeah, I think that's really important. Like this is led by you, basically. You know, social media is your platform, it's no one else's. Um, And this might be too premature too, but I mean, where do you see your career going? Like, do you want to, I guess you have your fingers in so many different and exciting things. Do you want to go into policy or do you just, you know, love your campaigning? What Mm. what do you think? Um, I'm really not sure at the moment. I think I just, I'm going to continue doing whatever I can and I'll just see where that goes. And hopefully um, when I'm a bit older, when I'm old enough to um, have a, proper job of my own hopefully things will be very different and um the amount of campaigning that we're doing at the moment won't be as necessary then yeah no absolutely so what have you got planned for the future then what have you got coming up in the next few months and exciting projects uh yeah as i mentioned the i think the youth funded land acquisition is one of for me i think that's really really exciting to have young people involved and 
um, conservation and environmentalism. Um, and then I'm doing some of my um, own projects and speeches. Um, which You've got a TED Talk, haven't you? Yeah. When's that? Is that in uh, That's in o- October. That's in Brighton. Um, do you know what you're going to talk about yet? Or is it I kind do, of... Do I, you, maybe you don't want to say, The actually. only problem is it's 18 minutes. I've never spoken for so long, so... Um, yeah, and if you look at TED speakers, they all seem very charismatic and they have the hand movements and I'm going to have to learn that. <laughs> yeah, um, you'll be absolutely fine, I'm sure. I think it will come I think it will come to you when you're on the yeah, stage. Yeah, I hope. As I said earlier, hopefully when I if I get up there and I just feel passionate about it, hopefully then I'll be able to do all the um, impressive hand movements. Yeah, absolutely. I tell you what, if you need a practice, you can come to the office. I'm sure everyone will be piling up Thank here to you. come watch you. It'll be brilliant. Um, and obviously you've got your Palm Oil documentary coming out. Where will people yeah. be able to see that? Is that on YouTube? Yeah, that will be on YouTube and I'll share it on all my social media platforms as well. Um, and hopefully it will be in a... Um, on a larger platform, but I can't confirm that yet. So, and you've got your own blog, haven't you? Is that Call from the Wild? Yeah, that's cool. You can find that at callfromthewild.com. Nice. Um, and what do you talk about there? Is that you know all of all of your issues, or is that just environmental or conservation? Mm. You know, do you keep yeah. that as a that certain themes? Yeah, no, it's all sorts of things. I mean, it's all conservation, environment, and also animal welfare. But um, anything which I think requires attention, then. I write about that. So it's all sorts of different themes. When did you start that? When you um, started Twitter? Uh, yeah, I think that I've had lots and lots of different blogs. I mean, I remember when I was much younger starting a blog about dogs. Or, um, but no, this is this has probably been my longest running one. Um, and it was it's probably about a year, two years old. Um, but a year ago, I started writing more regularly. Okay, cool. And I know that you kind of maybe already asked this, but so I was going to say, I was just wanted to finally finish up with, I mean, in 2030, you'll be 27. Um, what are there, if there are three things that you hope to see or hope to, you know, changes that you hope that have been implemented, what would you like those to be? Uh, I'd like to see individuals taking much, taking, um, feeling a personal responsibility to the natural world and taking the necessary actions because at the moment although campaigning to the government is so important um and it's so important also that people begin to change their own lifestyles and I, I think by then um how long that in 10 years I think people will have realized that there are so many small actions individuals can take um and I'd also obviously like to see the people who are supposed to be leading us actually acting like leaders um, and implementing the things that are going to protect our future um, and the future of the planet, which is, in my view, and I think in most people's views, the most important thing which we have to protect at the moment. Thank you so much, Bella. And just Thank finally, you. one ra- just one really quick wrap-up question. How do you relax? Um, <laughs> Genuinely. Probably... Probably, I relax by going out with my friends, but I think lots of my spare, when I have spare time, I sit there and read lots of the comments on Twitter, which isn't a very good, no, I wouldn't wouldn't recommend that at all. Actually, I bet most of yours are surely quite positive. They are, yeah, no, lots of them are supportive, but I think um, I have to read also the um, comments, which are quite, they they usually oppose what I write, but I think it's important to, as I mentioned earlier, to engage with those people. Um, so, yeah, lots of spare time is spent engaging with those people. <laughs> Probably not a good hobby to <laughs> yeah. have. Maybe like put a, a time limit on that and then yeah, just I think run I outside will. countryside, please. Um, okay, well, thank you so much, Bella. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to the Born Free podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the episodes, follow us on social media, or head to our website, bornfree.org.uk. My name's Sarah Locke, and our producer's Philip Fortuna. See you next time. Thank you.